So we're looking in Ephesians this evening in chapter 2, and we'll continue where we left off on Sunday in verse 10. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. Father, we're asking again and looking to you, as was stated already, we want to depend upon you more and more, which means depending upon your word, which means even now asking your Holy Spirit to bring our heart and mind and soul and strength before your word, and that you would speak to us, and you would speak through me, and that you would be glorified, and you'd accomplish your purposes, and we would see again or new, freshly, the specific mission that you've called us to as residents here on earth, yet certain about our citizenship in heaven. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. On the handout sheet that you have before you for tonight's Bible study, the mission's mystery is revealed. We see that there's four parts. Grace is a part of every one of those. Part one is the grace that is before and after the picture. And then, secondly, we see the mystery is revealed. Third, the mystery is explained. And then finally, the mystery is applied. When we're speaking on Wednesday, or on Sunday, excuse me, in Ephesians 2.10, what a joy it was. We started off with proclaiming that we are His workmanship. And for all of us, we should, as we're singing the song, Yahweh, Yahweh, There's a sense of rejoicing that we have absolute purpose from God, that we're his workmanship. And as some of you already know, that that would mean we're God's poem. That's what it is. That's the word workmanship. It comes under a description of being God's poem. It's the beauty that God has created in each one of us. So unique, but we're his poem, his workmanship. And we've been created. We've been born again in Christ Jesus After Sunday's service, someone was asking, and a very good question, about this particular uh, verse here and about being God's workman. And then specifically the question is, which God's prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And there was a very good question that was asked. And the best way that I can explain it is like this. In my own thinking, God has blueprints. Blueprints are absolutely essential if you want to get a job done and to get it done right. As a matter of fact, you cannot build unless you have blueprints. And those blueprints are going to be so helpful because they have a description of what is to be built, how it's to be built, the measurements and uh, the foundation to be laid. Everything is on those. And you follow those blueprints. And there's a sense of security in building based on the blueprints. So when we lived in this world Apart from Christ, when our lives were apart from Christ, we set aside his blueprints 
and we laid out for ourselves our own blueprints. And our blueprints were not based on a foundation that is Christ. Our blueprints were based on the foundation that is self. So from the foundation of self, I begin to build my life. So everything that I build is very self-centered, even though I could be kind, considerate, respectful. But even in all of that, it's still built upon self. When we come to Jesus Christ, we're born again. We take those blueprints. We don't want anything to do with our own. And then we lay back out the blueprints, God's word. The foundation is Christ. We say, where am I at in all those blueprints? Where am I? And it's as though the Lord said, I have been longing for this day just to show you. Because remember what we said, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning was God. But according to the scriptures that we saw in Ephesians 1, chapter 1, verse 4, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created He chose us before Genesis 1-1. And he's been standing and waiting and wondering, would we ever come? And then he's so delighted in laying out the blueprints. He says, I've known you since before the foundations of the world. I knit you together in your mother's womb. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are the works that I have for your life. You've never inquired and I've got them here and I'm just so delighted to show you. And you're just humbled before. And what he does is initially, he just says, I want to take you around and show you the the grading and the footings and the foundation. I just want to show you. I want you to get so acquainted. But I want to know what you're going to build. Well, I know you do, but you're not going to get to know that right now. What you're going to get to know is me, the Lord says. The Lord says, I am your foundation. I am the solid foundation. And you're going to get to know me. And you just say, Lord, that's... That's great. I'll just spend eternity getting to know you. And all of a sudden, our our heart gets strengthened and our emotions become healed and our perspective begins to change. We become sober-minded. We become hungry for God's word. And instead of something built on self, we realize, wow, how much of my life was all about me. And it starts to become like Jesus. And then... As we're progressing and you're looking, Lord, what are you going to build? And he says, well, I've been introducing you to myself and the foundation and the word of God. And I've been, you know, stirring your heart for a hunger. Because if you have a hunger for righteousness, you'll be filled with the word of God. And so you're taking in the word of God. There's an anxiousness, though. But what do you have for my life? What's next? And he doesn't let out a lot of line. He doesn't reveal a lot. But then he'll bring people into our lives that have been walking with God. People that love God because we don't know. How is it supposed to work? As a matter of fact, if you're going to build something, many times we try to find something that is already built that is similar to what we may want to build. Are there other blueprints? Is there another home like this, another building like this? Where does it exist? Can I go see it? I like to look at it. I like to kind of see the finished product. I like to learn from that and see. So the Lord brings people into our lives. Other men, other women that love him and have been walking with him. And he brings them in our life. People we've never known before, all of a sudden they're in our lives. And they love God. And they love God in a way that you want to love God. In a sense, it's godly jealousy for like, I want to I know God. 
so many people Lord has brought in my life. And all of you are part of the enrichment that God has brought to my life. But I remember in the early days in Seattle, a man named Mel. Mel had a career in sales. As a matter of fact, at this time, as I'm, he's with Jesus right now, but as I'm explaining this uh, illustration and, and meeting Mel, in my mind, he must have been in his later 70s, moving into the 80s. But he was a salesman, and that's what I was when I first came to the Lord. And he was in Seattle, but he certainly had been retired for a number of years. He came to the Lord when he was 40 years old. So I'm in my later 20s, and he's 40 when he came to the Lord, and now he's around 80, and he's serving the Lord. So he's served the Lord for 40 years. I think, wow. And he just introduced me to Jesus. And he says, you want to come to a meeting with some men and myself? Sure. Because what's called the Gideons, and we have Bibles, and we bring them and hand them out in hotels and schools and universities. He says, I'm, I'm on that. Just where and when. So I would meet every Saturday morning with these guys. I mean, I was just the young pup for sure. I mean, all these guys were retired. I was just a young guy. And they, they kneeled down in the restaurant. They shut the door in the back room. And these guys would pray to Jesus. And it's like, whoa. <laughs> wow. Wow. I'm, I'm so humbled. And I remember holding Mel's hands. When I just would, when he shake his hand, you knew you were shaking a man's hand. But you can see just his hands. He'd worked hard his life, and he'd wear a suit. And in Seattle, many times he had on like a London fog, a longer coat. And I was working sales in the area, and at times I travel, times I'm back. But he says, "Can you meet me downtown?" So I'm, I'll be downtown, Mel. Where do you want? He'd tell me like a hotel. And so I'd meet him in the lobby the first time, and I says, Mel, I, I didn't, do you know somebody here? He goes, no, I, I don't. I go, why are we here? He goes, I want to introduce you to something else that you might be interested in. Well, Mel, I'm always interested in Jesus, and I know you're following him, so what do you have in mind? He goes, well, one of the things I want you to know is I keep, I read the papers, and I know of conventions and things that are happening so I come into the lobby knowing that there's a particular business convention going on. And I've got, and he opens up like his coat, and he's got pockets with different tracks in them. <laughs> and he's got a Bible and everything. And he's the gentlest, most sincere person you could imagine. Humbled and sincere. And he just would walk around, and he would not be intimidating by any means. And I just would walk, you know, behind, and he'd introduce himself. He'd talk to people. He'd get this conversation about Jesus going, and they would be talking, and he goes, you know, I've got some information you might be interested in. Well, you do. And so he'd open his, and he's like a little library. What shelf are you taking that off of, Mel? And, he's, and I thought, Lord, what a treasure. What a treasure. And God's brought people into your lives that are like that. When we get into the scriptures, and we're seeing in verse 10 this idea of, wow, where's workmen? He's prepared work. He's prepared people to bring into our lives. He prepared this fellowship for us to grow in faith. And there's a real purpose for our life. But then when we go from verse 10 to verse 11, it, it takes us back. If you look at your notes, you can see right here it says grace before, the before and after picture of grace. So in verse 11, he's saying, now he's going to be addressing the Jews and the Gentiles. And what he's saying to the Gentiles and this is the mystery. 
The mystery is, is that the church was never talked about until after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the mystery. It's not talked about in the Old Testament. You don't know about the church. You have no anticipation of a, of a church. There was nothing like that. They were anticipating Jesus Christ, the Messiah. The Jews were the chosen ones, the called out ones. There was a separation between those that were Jewish and those that were Gentiles. It was a harsh separation. It was severe discrimination. Absolutely. No question about it. And so, when you're looking back here, and if you were a Gentile during this time, there was constant conflict between the groups. And you're either circumcised or uncircumcised, Jew or Gentile. You're in or you're out. Severe, extreme separation between those. So when we're looking at this and we're reading this, we must understand what God is going to tell us regarding his grace. Now, everybody was intending, that is the Jewish people were intending the Messiah to come and to set up his kingdom on earth, not to go to the cross. So there was no anticipation of the church. That was the mystery. Even darkness, even Satan, even in angelic realms, they did not know of the church. This is the mystery that's going to be revealed. Are you following me? That's what it's speaking about. The mystery. That's the mystery. It's not a mystery today. You're living in it, okay? So you're not mysterious. You're believers in Christ. But that's the mystery that they're speaking about. So when we're looking at this, verses 11 and 12, and it's saying, remember. Now, he's speaking here regarding the Gentiles. And he's saying, remember how it was. Look at verse 12. If you were living at that time, and if you look and see, you're, you're basically, you had nothing really to hope for or to hope in at all at this particular time. As you look and you see, it tells us in verse 12 that you were without Christ. You're at aliens from the, from the wealth and the promises and the covenants. You didn't have hope. You were without God. You were in the world. Now, this describes all of us in the world. All of us in the world without Christ are without hope, without God, without the promises, without the reality of that, without Christ. When you look at verse 13, he's saying, but now, and that reminds us, if we went back up in chapter 2 to verse 4, he says, but God, who is rich in mercy. So what he's laying out for us is a description of the reality of our life. He's bringing our ungodliness, our sin, the world, our association with the world right before us. And then he says, but God. And all of a sudden, it's the glory of God. It's a totally different change that takes place. So in verse 13, but now in Christ, you who are once afar off have been brought near. How? By the blood of Jesus Christ. So when we're looking here in these scriptures in chapter 2, and we see in verses 11 and 12, the club separation. So what I have is, you want to join a club? It's called club separation. You say, well, really, no thank you. Because club separation is all about the big withouts, what you don't have. I want to join club reconciliation. What's that like? Well, let's look. Verse 13, but now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near how? By the blood of Christ, so there's no salvation Apart from Jesus Christ. Continue on. Verse 14. We'll see. For he himself is our peace. Awesome. Who has 
made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity. That would be like the hostility, the hatred. That would be what that word means. That is the law of commandments contained in the ordinances. So as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. Stay with us here. Verse 16. And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting uh, to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. This truth can absolutely change the world. In other words, the world that we live in is a world of great separation. And the world creates separation. They create separation. They create division. They, they put people into categories, into compartments. So in a large general way, if you can picture this, in the world before Christ's death on the cross, there were two large groups, Jewish, Gentile. That's the world. But the commonality is that we're all needed a savior. All were sinful. That was what was common. But the religious side, the Jewish side, they upheld their religious belief in God, but rejected the Messiah when he came. What Jesus is saying, it's finished. There's no longer two groups. There's one group only. And the literal walls that were built up, there were literal walls. You're outside the camp. You're inside the camp. You can come in closer to worship. You stay farther away. Men and women, great discrimination. When Christ died on the cross, we know that that curtain was torn in two from top to bottom, saying, we come now. We have direct access to God through Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross, through his blood that was shed. And that's the way it is. Amen? Amen. I love it. So in a sense, when we look at the world, every believer that trusts in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross and is born again, we're one in Christ. Now, the enemy knows that we're one in Christ. Aren't we one in Christ? It's declared we're one in Christ. So the enemy, listen, the enemy, you're facing the enemy. You've, you've been, a, you know what spiritual battles are. They're intensifying because we're coming to it in Ephesians 6. So I know it's happening. It's happening. We need Ephesians 6 tonight, maybe, but we have to wait. Listen, the enemy wants to bring division in the body of Christ and in your families. He doesn't want to have this sense of unity. He wants division. And so within the ministry, he tries to cultivate division. This group, that group, and, and create all what God brought about through his death on the cross. So we literally, if you're, if you're a believer and if you're following God and if you're involved in leadership, you literally are fighting constantly against the walls that people want to build. You just, come on, don't build walls. We're one in Christ. 
we learn the, the blueprints that people, that God has for your life and want to come alongside. But we don't want to have division in the body of Christ. So historically, somebody in my position might be called the pastor or the minister, and then the name for those that are here tonight, you'd be called laity. Would you think I would say that? Absolutely not, because just in that connotation is a separation. There's no separation. Look, I'm down, I'm with you, and we're with Jesus. I just happen to use the gift of teaching tonight and to encourage us in the walk with God, but there's no difference. We're all seeking God. We all need God. We all want God. We all fall short in that. But you see what religion can do to do that. And then there can be, if we don't understand Galatians, we'll become self-righteous. Well, I don't, you know, you know what I do? And we build our faith on our works instead of on living on the work that Christ has done for us. So when we look at this, what a marvelous work that God had in mind. What a wonderful mystery. Verse 19, follow with me in verse 19 of chapter 2. But now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also were, are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. The only reference they had before was the literal temple, the literal building, or in the wilderness, the, the simulation of what that would be. And that was their reference. And the Lord is using through the teaching, He's saying you have that reference, but understand you now, You are that holy building. Christ lives within you. You are the temple. The Holy Spirit dwells within you. Christ lives within you. Wherever you go, the presence of God is there with us. And when we gather together, the presence of God is here with us. And this building is just a a place that we, we thank God for it. We thank God that we have a place to meet. But you're the ones that are holy. It's it's God living in you, Christ in you. We've been separated in a sense, from that old life, we've come to Christ and he's building his life in us and we want to grow up in the Lord. Amen? And when we grow up in the Lord, then we think of what kind of nonsense am I thinking about? In other words, within the body of Christ, when you make decisions, you say, am I making these decisions? Do I got those old selfish blueprints here? Because things aren't going my way. And now I'm going to do things this way or that way. Or my feelings are hurt or this or that. Set them aside. Put the blueprints of Christ back down. And realize it's comical when you just look back. That's so comical. I mean, when Christ died on the cross for us, he broke all of that. All those walls of separation. And it humbles us to come. And so in chapter 3, Paul says, if you're following along, here's the mystery. He's going to explain it to us. For this reason, I, Paul, chapter 3, prisoner of Christ, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you. So here's this grace of God, dispensation. Some commentators talk about time periods of grace that are dispensed throughout the history of mankind. And they have some good, thoughtful explanations in that. Paul is just saying, 
God's grace is being dispensed right now in an incredible way. I mean, Paul, of all people, should not be given this message. And he's giving this message. He's saying, I'm telling you, if you want to know what grace is, I'm going to explain it to you. Verse 2, if indeed that you have heard of the dispensation of grace of God, which was given to you, how that by the revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which you have read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body, partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. So Paul is saying, when we're looking at grace and this mystery of grace, he's saying, if you understand, I persecuted the church. I wanted to take the church down. I was opposed and hostile towards the church. I was on my way to Damascus and so full of zeal. And God dealt with me. And I repented and I came before the Lord and and he revealed himself to me and he communicated to me and he built upon his truth. And he says, I'm going to be a deliverer of the gospel of grace to the Gentile world. And he says, that's why I'm here. He says, this is grace. This is how it works. Those walls of separation. Because Paul was fighting hard for those walls to stand. He wanted those walls to stand. God says, they're not going to stand, and neither are you. And he was not standing. Follow along, verse 8. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So he's beginning to explain this great mystery, the unsearchable riches of Christ. But we do have to look in verse 8 and realize he says opinion regarding himself, and you'll see this on your next, next lesson, who am less than the least of all the saints. And to hear that from Paul, because prior to that, and according to the scriptures, there had never been somebody as academically brilliant, as so in charge in a spiritual position, so filled with zeal. His name Saul was after the the leader, Saul, King Saul. And so given over to taking out the church and how humility has come and he comes and he says, you know, if you take an inventory of everybody here and this is not false humility on his part, I'm the least of the least. That's how humbled he is. That's how the grace of God, as Peter would said, God resists the proud, he gives grace to the humble. Look at verse 9. To make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. You will see so many times in the scripture, Jesus Christ talked about as the creator of all things. Again, we hit this hard Because this is where the enemy, Satan, is coming to convince people that God, Jesus Christ, is God. And that we believe, obviously, he is God. He's the eternal God and the creator of everything. He created everything. 
But if you turn over to the right, just a couple of chapters, it would be Colossians, just a couple chapters over, Colossians chapter 1. This cross-reference verse, in verse 16, it says, For by him, who's it speaking about when we say by him? Who is that? Jesus. So Colossians 1.16, For by Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things. And in him all things consist or are held together in Jesus. So when people come and try to tell you that Jesus Christ is a great spiritual leader, he says he is the creator of everything and he existed before anything was ever created because he's the eternal God. These are the truths that are the foundational truths. We have to go back to them and understand how essential they are Because when Paul is speaking, he's trying to help us understand this mystery was something that God held from everybody until this time of the church being born. So in all of history and all of human history, the church was a mystery. Satan had no idea what God had in mind. If he did have that in mind, maybe he would have had a different tactic. But he had no idea because he thought putting Christ on the cross was going to be the end. And redemption would not happen because the Messiah is killed on a cross. And in reality, he rose from the dead. And he is alive today. And he is alive. And he told his disciples as he appeared to them, Look, it is me. I've conquered your greatest fear. I brought forth the greatest hope. I am the resurrection and the life. I live and you live. We want to go home to be with you. You stay here. You have work to do. What's the work? I've got a mission for you to do. A mission? What are you talking about? Are you going to set your kingdom up right now for us? No. I'm going back to heaven. I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'll bring you to myself. Well, what are we going to do? Well, actually, this is going to be an incredible thing. But the Jews and the Gentiles are going to become one. You're kidding. Those dogs are going to become like us? Because literally, that's what they called them. That's what they called them. That's how derogatory it was. And that's a polite word. They're going to become? We're going to become? We're going to be like all together? Yeah, that's exactly what's going to happen. That the gospel that I gave to Abraham, the promises, the gospel is for the whole world. And now it's going to advance to the whole world. And you have a mission. Well, we didn't know anything about that. Well, it's a mystery, that's why. It's a mystery, yeah. And my grace is a mystery too. My grace has always been here, but the incredible grace of God is going to be poured out. You'll see, day of Pentecost, 50 days later, Pentecost 50. 50 days later, Holy Spirit comes down, and those guys are just lit up for Jesus. And the church has never stopped being lit for Jesus. Oh, there's been difficult days and dark times, but... The gates of hell cannot prevail against this mystery. Amen. Amen. So it's just, 
many times laughable when people think they're going to extinguish Christianity or the Bible or whatever else. I mean, whatever you do, whatever attempt that Satan has against the work, the calling, and the mission that God has, it only multiplies the work. That's what it does. You feel the pressure of life. You feel the reality of the spiritual battles, but you stay strong in the Lord. You call upon the God. You're praying. You're asking. You're believing. You're not letting the enemy push you off the blueprints Christ has. You're battling. You're on it. You're there. Hard time. You're trusting God. Believe me, when you come through your testimony for Jesus, it is just powerful. God uses you in a multiplied way. What the enemy tried to do for evil, God does for good. And God works in a multiplying sort of a way as we stay with him. Is that not great news? Verse 10, to the intent, 310, that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers and in the heavenly places. Again, in the angelic realm, this was news to them. So the angels that announced the birth of Christ, the angels that ministered to Christ on earth, when they saw this, it's news to them. This mystery was being unfolded before them. According to verse 11, the eternal purposes which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for for you, which is your glory. And you might underline in verse 12, have access. When we went through chapter 1, we saw that we were chosen, blessed, predestined, adopted, accepted, redeemed, forgiven. The riches uh, abound towards us. The mystery of his will is known. We come together in unity. We have an inheritance. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And it's a guarantee of our inheritance. Those are wonderful. Verses 1 through 14, chapter 1. We skip over to chapter 2. And then we look, uh, actually... In chapter 3, at the very end that we just read, and it says that we have access. We have access in Him, in Christ. We have access. We boldly have access with confidence through faith in Him. We boldly have access. Hebrews 4 will tell us a similar thing. What does that mean? It means this. Lord, I don't know what's happening or what's going on, but I come to you in the name of Jesus, and I believe that you're in charge right now. And I feel, Lord, the spiritual oppression in the darkness, but greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And I have confidence, God, that you're in my life and you're working and you're going to reveal what you have in mind. Lord, keep me strong in these times. Keep my heart pure. Keep me before you, Lord. Lord, I believe in you. have confidence in you. have faith in you. You're not setting me up or anyone else up for failure. You're setting us up to know you, to trust you. And to see you lead us in victory. You are Joshua. Take me across this Jordan. Take me to the other side. I believe in your promises. That's what that means. That's what that means. Can you do that? It's for us. It's for us. And then finally, for this reason, Paul's bowing his knees. He's praying, Father, our Lord Jesus, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he might grant you according to the riches of his glory. So here's Paul praying for you right now. He's praying for the church. We're the church. The mystery's been revealed. He's doing his work. He's proclaiming the gospel. He's upholding this church at Ephesus. This prayer's for us. Verse 16, he's praying, God, grant those people at Calvary Chapel according to the riches of your glory. 
Grant them, Lord, to be strengthened. May they be strengthened with might through your Holy Spirit in their inner man. Lord, I pray for Christ to dwell in these believers' hearts. Lord, they trust in faith. Give them more faith. Faith that they would experience what it is to be rooted and grounded in your love. Lord, may they be able to comprehend right there in Bellingham, right in Whatcom County, with all the other believers in the world. May they all comprehend, Lord, how great you are, how wide and how long and how high and how deep is your love for us. There's no measurement for that. It passes our knowledge. We can't understand it. But Lord, may we be filled with the fullness of God, his word, his truth. Lord, I pray for all these believers, God, that they would be able by the power of God to experience what is known as the exceeding abundant blessing from God above anything that they're thinking. We think too shallow. God, you're going to do above and beyond. And that's not by our power. It's by your power that's working in the surrendered hearts of those that believe and follow you. Because God, as you're working, as you're doing your work, you will be glorified. Your church will be glorified. The next generation will say, we want Jesus too. Amen? Let's pray. Let's stand. Father, we do thank you for your word and how blessed we are to have this word today. The grace of God, the picture of our lives before grace invaded us, and then a picture of our life now as lovers of Jesus Christ. Lord, it's an awesome truth that maybe for some for the first time, time tonight realized the mystery what we take for granted was not known until the church was born and we're part of this father we pray in jesus name that anything from our hearts our minds our lips that would build the walls that you took down i'd ask in jesus name You'd rebuke those thoughts, those attitudes, Lord, that we would not allow any groundwork for new walls, but instead the newness of the Spirit of God and the power of his love. So work mightily. Thank you for our fellowship, all that you're doing. We call out to you, Lord, as we talked about plans ahead and man plans his ways, but the Lord directs the steps. We need your help. Also, we pray your blessing, God, on the upcoming Armor of God presentation, Lord, and the blessing that that will be on a Wednesday and a Sunday. Also, the Vacation Bible School, which, Lord, will really be dedicated through June, training, equipping, preparing, and believing you. Thank you, Lord. Visit each of us, God, tonight, this week. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.